If you closed your Bible earlier, if you'll please reopen it to Philippians, the fourth chapter, Philippians chapter 4. Today brings to a conclusion our series on uh, Paul's epistle to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians, that we have given the theme from servants, that is Paul and Timothy, to servants, that is the believers, the church in Philippi, about the servant and that is about Jesus Christ. Paul has written a letter filled with love and gratitude. Even a surface reading of Philippians will reveal that Paul deeply, deeply loved the believers at Philippi. He had won many of them to Christ, discipled them, got them going in their Christian faith. The church had been so encouraging and supportive of Paul. He loved the church in Philippi. And so this letter is one filled with love and with gratitude. The gratitude coming from the monetary gift that they had uh, had sent to him while in prison in Rome. And I, I don't know, I got to thinking back over all the previous sermons. I don't think I've ever said this, but you need to know it. Um, the Romans, when the Romans would imprison someone, if they perceived or knew that you had monetary resources or you had someone who was willing to be supportive of you, then they would require that you pay for your own stay in prison. That's kind of fun to think about, isn't it? You pay for your own bed, you pay for your own food, you pay for your own clothes. And so Paul was perceived to be that kind of person. And so Paul was dependent upon help and Philippians, the church at Philippi, was gracious in sending a very generous gift by way of Epaphroditus, as we have seen in the text. So we've already read the entire passage. So from the text, verses 10 through 23, there are several things that I want us to grasp, several things that I want us to get hold of. Sometimes we get to the end of a book of the Bible and we see things like bless this person and hello and tell somebody hello and we sort of think we can just skim through that. That's not important, but I want to tell you it is important and nowhere more so than in the book of Philippians. So let's get our arms around a few things. The first is this. Paul says, I'm grateful you have blessed me. It's what he says to Philippi. I'm grateful you have blessed me. By the way, when was the last time you said that to someone? I'm grateful you have blessed me. Maybe it was this morning. Maybe it was uh, yesterday. Or maybe upon reflection, you'd realize it's been a long time since I ever said to anybody, I'm grateful you have blessed me. Paul says to the church in Philippi, I'm grateful you have blessed me. We live in a day in which we recognize, if we're paying attention, that gratitude expressed verbally is in short supply. Now, maybe that's because so many people have a sense of entitlement, or or maybe it's a lack of proper upbringing, or maybe it's a lack of an example of someone before you who says, thank you, I'm grateful you have blessed me. Whatever the case may be, it reminds us of the importance of the simplicity of what our moms and dads said to us. Always remember to say please and thank you. Now, I don't think that verse is in the Bible. Always remember to say please and thank you. But it is a biblically principled saying. 
And so Paul says to the church in Philippi, I am grateful you have blessed me. Paul had no problem at all with expressing gratitude, not only in Philippians, but elsewhere. And he begins that 10th verse by saying, I have rejoiced greatly. And that puts even more emphasis, that even goes beyond the simple words, thank you. And he says in that verse, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last... You renewed your concern for me. What is, what's up with the at last part of this? Well, here's what it is. Paul had received previous gifts from Philippi. In fact, he tells us that when he left Philippi to continue his missionary journey, Philippi was the only church that sent support to, to, to help Paul in his mission work, and he thanked them. However, it had been about seven or eight years since Philippi had sent a gift to Paul. And Paul recognizes in the text their desire to give, but they just hadn't been able to do it. Was it because of economic problems? Maybe. Was it because they didn't have anybody who could physically get the gift to Paul? Maybe. We don't know the reason. Paul wants them to know that he is so grateful, but he doesn't want them to think that there was any sense of exasperation on his part. He knew they loved him. He knew they cared for him. And he was so thankful that finally a gift had come from them to express that love and that concern and helps him in his stay in prison in Rome. Paul is not ever here or anywhere else being manipulative. He is not also overstating the sense of gratitude that he felt in his heart for the church in Philippi. It is real because his rejoicing is in the Lord because of God's gracious goodness. Now, let's apply that to ourselves. Nice to know what Paul did. Let's apply it to ourselves. Number one, when did you last thank God? That should really be a daily prayer habit of ours, to thank God for everything He's done for us, for for Jesus, for the gift of eternal life, for the Bible, for our family, for church, for health, whatever. Thank God. And Paul sets the example for that in every epistle that he has written. Then, secondly, thank people who have blessed you. That's what Paul is doing to the church of Philippi. He wants them to know, I am grateful for you. You have blessed me. Now, I'm, I've got so far to go in my journey. I don't know about chronologically. <laughs> That's not up to me. But I have so far to go in what I need to learn. And part of that's in expressing gratitude. So this week I wanted to be sure that I remembered that the Vacation Bible School workers, the volunteers, needed to be thanked. And I did that more than once, and I did it in front of people. And I did that simply because I'm grateful. Suppose the staff had said to the church, you know what, y'all have the summer off, we'll handle Vacation Bible School. How many of you were here last week? Now, those were good kids for the most part. Those were good kids. <laughs> if it had just been the staff, they would over, they would have overrun us in 20 minutes. We needed volunteers. And we've got some of the greatest adult and youth volunteers you could ever imagine. By the way, I didn't mean to leave out the youth. Our youth are at camp. 
today. Most of them are at camp today, and the, and the preteens leave tomorrow, so please include those in your prayers. Thankful to God, thankful for people, and remembering to say to people, I'm grateful you have blessed me. Now, with that in mind, very simple, somebody just came to your mind. I'm guessing someone came to your mind when I started talking about this. So find that person today and tell them, I'm grateful you have blessed me. Or or write them a note. That's a novel idea in 2018 to write a note, but write them a note. Let them know how much you appreciate them. So Paul is simply saying, I'm grateful you have blessed me, church in Philippi. What an example he sets for us. The second thing that we grasp in this text is this, and if this is the only thing you remember from my sermon, I want you to remember this. This is the most important. I am content. Christ is enough. Paul says, I am content. Christ is enough. This is the guy in prison, depending upon people outside for his very survival, and he says, I am content. Christ is enough. You find that in verses 11, 12, and 13. Paul says, thank you, church in Philippi. And I'm not saying thank you because I'm begging for another monetary gift. I'm saying thank you because I am grateful and I have learned to be content. I've learned to be content in plenty and I've learned to be content in want. And Paul knew both. Paul had once had many resources himself and had many friends who had resources. Now he has nothing and he understands both what it is like to live in plenty and what it is like to live in want. And Paul says, I am content because contentment is not based on my circumstances. Contentment is not based on where I am, but contentment is based on Christ alone. That's what Paul has learned. That's what we must know. Contentment is based on Christ. In 1989, there was a, a little poem that appeared in um, the newspaper written by a 14-year-old boy. I think it's pretty amazing what he wrote as a 14-year-old. I'm going to share it with you. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer... But it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. Pretty amazing perception 
on the part of a 14-year-old kid. And Paul would have said to him, I have learned to be content in every circumstance because contentment is found not in the season of the year, not in my chronological age, but contentment is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Also understand that contentment is not equivalent to laziness or low motivation. Sometimes someone will say, I'm very content, and people look and say, yeah, you're you're, you're lazy. No, no, not here, not in this text. That's not what Paul means. Contentment is resting in Christ Jesus. I have learned to be content because contentment is found in Christ. Twice, in verse 11, and then again in verse 12, Paul says, I have learned contentment. You mean you weren't born with it? Neither was I, neither were you. We aren't born with contentment. We learn contentment in the school of experience. We learn in Christ what is really important. When times are good, resist greed and pride. When times are tough, resist greed and despair. Paul told his own story numerous times. Listen, for instance, at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. That's the man who said, I have learned to be content in Christ Jesus. Listen to him again in um, 2 Corinthians, the 4th chapter, when Paul said, "Rather as uh, the 6th chapter, Rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, in purity, understanding patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. That man is the one who said, I've learned to be content in Christ and Christ alone. Then one more example of Paul's. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That is the man who said, I have learned to be content in Christ and Christ 
alone. In fact, in verse 12, he says, I've learned the secret. Well, there's a secret no longer because he reveals the secret. And the secret, which once was, is we find our contentment in Christ and Christ alone. In that very famous verse, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, or I can do all this through him who strengthens me, or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, depending on what version you have memorized. That verse is a powerful verse, very famous verse, often misquoted or often misused. We need to remember its context. For instance, I cannot bench press 350 pounds no matter how many times I say Philippians 4.13. I cannot run a 4440 no matter how many times I say Philippians 413. So when you see it written in locker rooms and things like that, just know, remember the context, remember the context, remember the context. So the context is that our contentment is rooted in Christ and a relationship with Christ and Christ is enough. So... I can be content in Belton, Texas. I can be content if I should be found in Belton, Scott, in, in Baylor, Scott and White Hospital. I can be content if I am in India, in Moldova, in Haiti, or in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. I can be content because contentment is not found in my circumstances or in my location or in my chronological age, but contentment is found in Christ and Christ alone. Remember what he said in chapter 3 and verse 20 when Paul said our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We aren't home yet. Be content. Christ is enough. Now, I don't know who needed that today. I needed it this week when I was getting ready for the sermon. But somebody needed that today and maybe a bunch of somebodies. And if that's you, then I hope you'll remember contentment is found in Christ. He is enough. Now, the third thing that Paul shares with us or with the church in Philippi and with us in the text is this. You are my gospel partner. We are a team. Verse 14, 15, 16, 17. You are my gospel partner. We are a team. Paul in Rome, the church in Philippi in Philippi, separated by over 800 miles with no airplanes flying, no cars driving, no buses driving, no trains driving, a long way from Philippi to Rome and from Rome to Philippi. How in the world can they be a team? Paul says two ways, prayerfully and financially. Prayerfully and financially. We are a team because you pray for me. We're a team because you've chosen to support me. Prayerfully and financially. Simply stated, you aren't giving, you are not a partner. You're not praying, you're not a partner. Don't be simply a customer. Be a co-laborer. Bear fruit in accordance with Scripture. Now, I make no apology about talking about money. It's a necessity from time to time. It is totally scriptural. And like Paul said of the church in Philippi, I want your account to build up. I want you to be fruitful. And I don't mean your bank account when I say that. I mean your spiritual account with God. I want you to be fruitful. And I want that account to grow because God will bless in some way, somehow, not always physically, sometimes it's spiritually, sometimes it's both, but God will bless. So be a gospel partner we are a team church we are we are we're gospel partners we're a team 
be part of the team that locally here is known as First Baptist Belton. The fourth thing that Paul expresses to Philippi and to us is this, you show the real blessedness of giving a fragrance unto God. Verse 18, you show the real blessedness of giving a fragrance unto God. Now, I really love this 18th verse. Paul is saying to Philippi, my needs are met. Your gift is a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. That's an Old Testament picture of sacrifices made to God, meat on the altar, smelled a, a, a sweet fragrance that could be smelled all around. And Paul says it is a sweet fragrance to God in heaven when you worship Him in stewardship. Think on it. Your giving smells sweet to God. That's why we call it an act of worship, because it smells sweet to God. And it ought to be our greatest motive for giving, and that is that it smells good to God. So today, when you place your gift in the box as you go out this morning, it'll be okay if you put it in and go, because it smells good to God. And that's your way of acknowledging, Lord, I know as I give this gift, it smells sweet to you because I give it as an act of worship. The fifth thing that Paul expresses in the text is that you'll receive God's blessings. He will respond. Verse 19. You will receive God's blessing. He will respond. Now look at verse 19. And you decide, do you believe this verse or not? Are you going to take one verse, pull it out of Scripture and say, I believe all the Bible except Philippians 4.19. I'm going to throw it away. Or do you believe it? It says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Will he or won't he? He will. It's in the text. It's in the Bible. It's true. And hopefully you've experienced it. It doesn't say, and my God will meet all your desires, or my God will meet everything you want. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. If whatever that means, according to the riches of His glory... That sounds like a whole lot of blessing that he has stored up for his children. I like that, and I believe that verse. I believe it with all my heart. It is true because Christ is enough. Then the sixth thing that Paul expresses to his friends in Philippi is this. You bring out a doxology, a word of praise. You bring out a doxology... A word of praise. Verse 20. As Paul reflects on every experience he's had with Philippi, as he reflects on all the words that he has written from chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 4, verse 19, what happens as a result of all that he has been thinking? 
What happens is a doxology, a word of praise. And we find it in that 20th verse, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul probably, uh, probably, we think, dictated this epistle to an amanuensis who wrote it, who came into the jail cell and wrote it down as he dictated it. And I cannot picture Paul in verse 20 saying, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. I believe he shouted it. And it didn't matter who heard it. If it went all the way into Nero's bedroom, he shouted it out to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. As he reflected on what he had already written about God being the giver of grace in chapter 1 verse 2, being the worker of salvation, chapter 1 verse 6, being the exalter of Christ in chapter 2 verses 9 through 11, being the one who conforms us into Christ's likeness, chapter 2 verse 13, being the father of believers, chapter 2 verse 15, being the revealer of truth, chapter 3 verse 15, being the giver of peace, chapter 4 verses 7 and 9, and being the supplier of our needs, chapter 4 verse 19. And he said, you are worthy of praise for ever and ever and ever so praise him now we're almost done what is the seventh thing that we find Paul saying in conclusion to the church of Philippi I love the church here and there I love the church here and there verse 21 And 22, Paul loves the believers in Rome. That would have been here for him. And I love the believers there. That would have been Philippi for Paul. And he includes in the text those who are in Caesar's household. Because of the witness of Paul, people who served in the very household of Caesar had come to know Christ. Who was Caesar when Paul wrote Philippians? Nero. Under the very nose of Nero, there were men and women who loved Jesus. And Paul sends a word of greeting and love to them and about them to Philippi. I love the church here and there. I love the church. You love the church, don't you? The church local and the church universal. Both the church local, right where we are, this is it. For most of us in this room, this is it. The church universal, believers everywhere, all over the world, we love the church here and there. And so I I encourage you to join Jesus in loving His bride. Finally, what's the last thing? Paul ends the epistle... One final word, I end with grace where I began. I end with grace where I began. If you look back at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace. And peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then the last verse, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We are in desperate need of God's grace. That's how we come to faith in Christ is by grace, through faith in Christ and Christ alone. Grace. That's a good way to start and end a letter, a book, a day, a trip, a memory, a lifetime. We begin and we end with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bow with me, please, for prayer. In a moment, the praise team will lead us as we will stand together and sing our song of invitation. And we give this invitation because we believe with all our hearts that in any given service, this many people in a room, there's someone who needs Jesus. And if that person is you, it's quite probable at this moment that you are sensing the tugging of the Holy Spirit at your heart, the drawing of God to your heart and your soul. And so this morning, without delay, I would ask you when we stand to leave your seat, come and place your hand in mine, and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. And a member of our staff will be here to pray with you and to help you come into a personal saving relationship with Jesus. All of us who have already made that decision, may this be a time in which we express, like Paul did, our profoundest thanksgiving and gratitude to God for all that He's done for us through His Son, Christ Jesus. We are grateful, Father, we are. And I pray now that you will draw to yourself that one, two, three, or four in this room who do not yet know you through your Son, Jesus. And we pray believing in His matchless, beautiful name. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing.